This is the Megacon Experience, a collection of sermons from our global conference held in Benin City, Nigeria. We hope you're blessed by these messages. Father, we thank you for this another opportunity to minister to these, your precious sheep. Thank you, Lord, that revelation knowledge will flow freely, uninterrupted and unhindered by any satanic or demonic force. Father, I pray that you will speak through my vocal cords, think through my mind. Holy Spirit, minister as I preach, Lord, that you, you take it deeper into the, into the ears of the hearer. Father, we declare breakthrough like as we've never seen before. Give us deep revelation and understanding of your word. We praise you for it now. In the wonderful, mighty, matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, uh, greet two or three of your neighbors and welcome them here tonight. Let's, let's jump right into the word tonight. Amen. you have your Bibles tonight, go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 26. Hebrews chapter 26. And I'm happy to say that I didn't think we were going to get to this point, but I'm glad we did. Amen. And I am so honored and blessed by Archbishop Margaret Idahosa, for her love, as it, 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 her love radiates. You understand what I'm saying? When you walk in the room and she's in the room, the atmosphere has been trained in, in accordance with the love that she walks in. And I just want to thank you for that so much. All right, are you ready? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Go ahead and put this on the screen. I decided, let's, let's just go ahead and hop into this tonight. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Let's read verse 26 out loud together. Ready? Read. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now, how many of you ever read that scripture before? Right now, what that most people think is that, well, Brother Dollar, if you sin and you did it willfully, then there's no more help and no more sacrifice for your sins because you sinned willfully. Well, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, every sin is a willful sin. <laughs> every sin is a willful sin. And... uh one of the things we've got to understand is when we read the Bible, the application of a scripture is based on the context that that scripture is found in. So I can't just read verse 26 to you and not take the time to understand the context in which that scripture is found. Context is king. And so if you read this scripture without understanding the context of it, then you may think that it says that if you sin willfully, then there remaineth no more sacrifice for your sin and you're in trouble because, you know, it's one thing to make a mistake in sin, but it's another thing to sin willfully. That's ludicrous. There's no sin that you and I have ever committed that was not done as an act of our will. You didn't do it by mistake. It's not like you ended up in the bed with somebody you wasn't supposed to be with and you woke up the next morning and said, golly, I'm in the bed. How did I get in this bed? And whose bed is this? And where are my clothes? Gee, I must have made a mistake. That's not how that happened. All sin is willful. But in order for us to understand what verse 26 means, 
You have to back up and get some context of what he was saying in the whole chapter. I want to do that real quickly. Uh, look at Hebrews 10, verse 5, and then we're going we're gonna to read verse 10 through 14. Hebrews 10, verse 5, then verse 10 through 14, then I'll show you why, what he means when he says in, in verse 26. Hebrews chapter 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. He's talking about the body of Jesus Christ. All right? Go to verse 10, 11, 12, and 13. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So the body of Jesus Christ is the sin offering that was the sacrifice for all of our sins once for all times. Once and for all times. And he says, and every priest standeth daily in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. The blood of the animals, the blood of the bulls and the goats, the priest stood all the time. There was no chair behind that veil. He stood all the time taking and receiving the offerings of animal sacrifices, but none of those sacrifices could ever take away sin. Verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So it says now, the body of Jesus Christ is going to be the final sacrifice that will be offered one time and it will take away sin. Amen? Verse 13. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Verse 14, he says, for by one offering, everybody say one offering. And what was that one offering? The body of Jesus Christ. For by one offering, he has perfected forever. For how long? Forever. Them that are what? Sanctified. So the context of the scripture is talking about how the body of Jesus Christ is the once-for-all-time sacrifice that you're never again going to need animal sacrifices because if you believe in that, that body of Jesus Christ and that he was sacrificed to deal with our sins, you'll never again have to go offer a bull or a goat or an animal sacrifice because we now have the sacrifice of the body of Jesus. If you understand that, say amen. Now go to verse 26. In context, here's what he's talking about in verse 26. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now, what is the willful sin? The willful sin is rejecting the body of Jesus as the final sacrifice. The willful sin... He says, if you sin willfully after you have heard the knowledge of the truth, what truth? The truth that the body of Jesus is the final sacrifice for all sins. He says, if you reject that truth and if you fail to believe that the body of Jesus is the final sacrifice for all of your sins, then there remaineth no sacrifices. In other words, the other sacrifices won't work if you don't believe that Jesus' body is the sacrifice for all sin. So no matter what the sin is, you can't go and get any more animals because the sacrifice is the body of Jesus Christ. His body took on all of our sins. We don't need goats. We don't need doves. We don't need bulls. We have the body of Jesus Christ. And to reject that truth is to sin willfully. And if you reject the body of Jesus, then there remaineth no sacrifices in the world that are worth like the body of Jesus can. So the will for sin is rejecting the body of Jesus. Now, I'm starting off like that because most people I've been in the world use verse 26 as a verse of scripture to condemn people. And they say, you know, you sin willfully. There's no more help for you. There's no more sacrifice for sin. And can you see that if you don't rightly divide the word of God, you'll walk around in condemnation 
beating yourself up all of your life because you didn't understand that the willful sin was rejecting the body of Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Now, I'm going to start a very radical teaching tonight, something you're going to have to think about, something I'm going to have to walk through with you. But if you get this, you will never be the same again. Amen? Now, I want to go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 in the New Living Translation, if you have it. Hebrews chapter 9, 28 in the New Living Translation. Now, I want to say this, ladies and gentlemen. Sin is a non-issue with God. Strong. Sin is a non-issue with God. Why is it a non-issue with God? Because this is something that he's already dealt with. Let's read this scripture together. Hebrews 9, 28. Ready? Read. So also Christ died once for all times as a sacrifice to what? To take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. How do you believe that Jesus is coming back again? How many of you just read that when he comes back again, it's not to deal with our sins? Why is he not coming back to deal with our sins? Because he's already dealt with it. So he's not coming back to deal with something that he's already dealt with. See, you're still dealing with something that Jesus has already dealt with. <laughs> it's done. He has dealt with the sin issue. It's finished. But you just can't let it go. And he's got all of these wonderful things that he's trying to show us. But the sin issue has been dealt with. Sin is no longer an issue with God, but it remains a big issue with us. Now, let me show you something here. Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. I'm going to show you something here. Romans 4, 5 through 8, and then I'm going to compare the difference between the nature of sin and sinning. Romans, five, Romans chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. Watch carefully. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Wow. He says you were counted righteous without the works. Verse 6. Even David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works. To impute something means to hold to your account. It means to charge to your account. It's an accounting term. To impute to your account. He said that he is not, that he went ahead and imputed righteousness to your account without your works. In other words, you didn't do anything to, be, have, to have righteousness charged to your account. You believed and he said you're righteous. You got it the same way Abraham did. Abraham believed God and heaven said, you're righteous. You and I believe God and heaven said, you're righteous. So it was imputed. Righteousness was imputed or charged to our account without our works. If you understand that, say amen. Verse 7, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Now look at verse 8. Y'all don't mind if I take my coat off, right? It's the last night. Praise God. Let's, let's go to work. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Wow. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. When I first saw that, I thought somebody is a typo. That cannot be what that says. 
And I had to pause a little bit because, you know, what he says is God is not going to charge sin to the account of the one who's righteous. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. If you don't deal with sin, God, you would be an unjust God. It's got to be dealt with. What are you talking about? He says, I will not charge sin to the account of the righteous. It doesn't mean that it wasn't paid for. What he said was, somebody's got to pay for this. It just won't be you and I. Somebody's got to pay for the sin issue. It just won't be you and I. Well, Lord, who paid for it? He said, I took your sin and my sin and I put it on the body of Jesus Christ and he has to now pay the ransom for the sin of the whole world. Oh, y'all don't hear what I'm saying. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say, for example, we picked out one of the nicest stores in Nigeria. And I went to that store and I said to them, I'm going to send everybody that came to Megacon to the store and they can get anything they want. Do not charge them for whatever they get. I give them my master's card and I say, I want you to charge everything they get to my account. Now, to you, it was free, but somebody had to pay for it. It was free to you, but it was on my account. I paid for it. So likewise, Jesus has taken all of the sin and he said, put it on my card. I'll pay for the sins of mankind. He paid for your sins. He paid for my sins. It had to be paid for, but you didn't pay for it. He didn't charge it to your account. He took it upon himself, and now you have the right to walk in the liberty and the freedom of the righteousness of God. Your sins have been paid for, past, present, and future. Oh, I think you ought to say amen a, lot, a whole lot louder than that, man. Jesus has paid for your sins. Now, that's radical. That's radical. And, and I'm looking, and I know he's paid for my sin, but I don't know. It's still, it's still an issue. When you miss the mark, you feel guilty. You feel bad. You feel full of shame. You start trying to do things to make it better. You start trying to sweat because no longer is Jesus enough, that his blood is no longer enough. Now you got to do three or four things to make it enough. And it's never Jesus alone. It's always Jesus plus how many more hours can you pray? Or it's Jesus plus how many more days can you fast? Or it's Jesus plus how good you got to be? And what happens is you get into a, what I call a Christianity compulsive disorder. It's never enough. And you don't ever know when it's enough. And you're not satisfied that it's enough. And you're praying, but you don't know if you're praying enough. And you're fasting, and you don't know if you're fasting enough. And you're witnessing to people, and you don't know if you're witnessing enough. And what are you doing? You're now in a cycle of sweating, trying to do everything you can for it to be enough. But when is it enough? I'll tell you when it's enough. The day you believe that Jesus is enough all by himself. The day you receive that Jesus is enough. Turn to two people and tell them, Jesus is enough. I remember one morning I went into prayer and it was my objective to pray two hours a day. And I remember that morning I was dreading going into prayer. <laughs> and I got into prayer and man, I let it rip. And man, I thought, I felt like I had been there for an hour. I looked at my watch and I was only five minutes. And I'm thinking, this is going to be rough. And I said, oh, God, I am not looking forward to this. And you know what I heard? He says, I'm not looking forward to it either. I said, what? 
He says, son, you missed the whole deal. I want men to learn how to commune with me. Not to show up for two hours in the morning and then don't have anything else to say to me for the rest of the day. I was shocked. I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, if you want to get up and spend time with me, get up and spend time with me. But I want to hear you throughout the day. And so I said, oh, I think I hear what he's saying. God wants me to commune with him. And I went up and I said, okay, I got up and I started praying until I had felt a peace. And then I started getting dressed and I was praying while I was getting dressed. And then I went in and, and got my, my clothes ready. I was praying while I was doing that. And then on the way to the office, I was praying while I was on the way to the office. And, you know, before I had a meeting, I prayed over the meeting. And after the meeting, I would thank God and prayed over how the meeting went. And glory to God, the situation would come, and I'd stop and ask God about that, listen to what he's saying. And then I'm on my way home, praising the Lord for the day, glory to be to God. And then by the time I got home, I realized, wait a minute, I went from two hours to spending all day with God. God wants you to move from communication to communion. I remember years ago when Taff and I were married, and I, I said, man, I'm going to go on Saturdays, I don't speak to any man. No man. I'm going to speak to no man because I got to be anointed. And I locked myself up in the room, and I got on the floor, and I began to just pray in tongues. And I mean, I didn't give God a chance to say anything. Man, I was spitting on that carpet, and I was sucking up carpet fibers, and I was sucking up the fibers coming in my mouth. Well, eventually, I, the fibers got in my mouth, and I, I choked up. And I finally, I finally heard God, and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm here so I can get anointed for tomorrow. He said, I anointed you when I called you. And I didn't pay him any attention, and I just kept going. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was on my face, and, and I was at the crack of the door. And Taffy had started cooking spaghetti and French bread. And I would and the smell of the spaghetti started coming under the thing, and, and, then the, and then she put the French bread in with the butter, and you know how that smells. And it came under, and I said, and then I paused to think about what God told me. And I said, well, since I'm already anointed, I got up off my knees, and I said, in Jesus' name, amen, and I went and had some spaghetti and French bread. Not to say that there's something wrong with spending time and praying with God, but see, I was trying to earn something that had already been done. I was trying to get something that was already made available to me. Are you listening to me? Now, what I'm about to show you, we're going to go through the entire book, well, the whole chapter of Romans 6, and I'm going to show you the difference between sin and sinning. Go to Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. And let me say if I get too caught up and don't remember to say it, it has been an honor and a, and a pleasure to be with you these last two days. I will never forget it. Romans chapter 6, verses 1. Now, let's, let's set some things here. In Romans, the Bible uses the word, the, the word sin as a noun or in Romans, then it uses the word sin as a verb. In Romans chapter 6, the word sin is used as a verb, sinning, only one time, and that's in verse 15. Every scripture we're about to read, except verse 15, the word sin is a noun referring to the sin nature. Now, here's what I mean by sin nature. You are a spirit being. Say, I am a spirit. You possess a soul. Say, I have a soul. You live in a physical body. Say, I live in a body. You are, you are a spirit. You have a soul. Your spirit and soul are not the same. These words were used interchangeably back in the day as if they were the same. You are a spirit. You have a soul. Your soul is your mind your will, and your emotions. Your, your soul is your thinker, your filler, and your chooser. That is in your soul compartment. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. When you die, your spirit and soul separate from the body 
and to be absent from the body if you're born again is to be present with the Lord, being able to know the people you see in heaven because you have a soul. Now watch this. You are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. Before you got born again, you had the sin nature in you. Before you were born again, the nature of sin lived in you. The Bible calls it the old man lived in you. Amen. The old man, which is the root, lived in you. And you produce sin because you had the root of sin. Sinning was a result of the old man that you used to have on the inside of you. Now watch this. You sinned because you had the root of the sin man in you. Sinning didn't make you a sinner. The old man in you made you a sinner. The behavior didn't make you, excuse me, the sin man, the sin nature lives in you, produce the behavior. The sin nature in you produced the lying, the stealing. The sin nature in you produced that. Your identity, your old identity produced your behavior. Now, please listen to this. Your identity determines your behavior. Your behavior does not determine your identity. Your identity determines your behavior. You behave the way you behave because of the identity. Your, your identity determines your behavior. Your behavior, what you do, doesn't determine who you are all the time. And listen to this illustration. If you take a mule and dress him up like a racehorse and treat, and treat him like a racehorse and feed him like a racehorse, when you put that mule behind blocks and fire the gun, even though he looks like a racehorse, dresses like a racehorse, and was fed like a racehorse, when they fire the gun, he's going to act like a mule. Why? That's his nature. Are you with me? Now, I'm going to read Romans 6 and 1, make commentary as we go. Remember, every sin word you see is a noun referring to your, the sin nature you used to have. Watch this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in the sin nature? He didn't say, shall we continue sinning? Shall we continue in that sin nature? That word's a noun. That grace may abound. Shall you continue in the sin nature that grace may abound? What's the answer to that question? Why is the answer no? Because you're born again you no longer have the sin nature. So you can't continue in what you don't have. Watch what he says. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to the sin nature live any longer in the sin nature? Say to your neighbor, I'm dead to the nature of sin. I have a new creation. I'm born again. I no longer have that sin nature. So I don't live after the sin nature. Why don't you live after the sin nature? Because you've been born again. Good class. Verse 3. Don't you know that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were also baptized into his death? Or Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism in death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Why? We're dead to the old man. We can now walk in the newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, here it is, here it is, 
knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, comma, that the body of sin might be destroyed, comma, that henceforth we should not serve, it's a noun, the old man. See, this is how we read it in the past. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sinning. But that's not a verb. It's a noun. And he says, go back to verse 6, and he says, and he, he says, the old man is crucified, noun. The body of sin is crucified, noun. That henceforth we should not serve the old man, the body of sin, sin. So the key here is you've been born again. You don't serve the old man. You don't serve the body of sin. You don't serve the sin nature. Why? You have a new nature. Put it in the next verse. Seven. For he that is dead is freed from, it's a noun, the sin nature. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm free from the nature of sin. Turn to the other side and say, I'm free from the old man. Think of that. You are free from that old sinful root. See, when you had the sinful root, you had no choice but to sin. But now that you have the new creation, you can decide whether you want to sin or not. So why do Christians sin today, even with the new creation? They decide to. <laughs> the devil didn't make you do it. You did it because you wanted to. You don't understand. Now that you have a new creation, it's a decision. Every temptation you look at is a decision. Every situation to sin you look at is a decision. If you end up sinning, you decided to sin. But he wants you to know that you're no longer under the old man. Under the old man, you had no choice but to sin. But now that you're born again, you have the new man on the inside of you. And every time pressure comes over you, it's a decision. Now, look at the next verse. The next verse. Amen. Now, if we be dead with Christ, how many of you know when you're, if you're dead to something, you're not going to die no more? How many believe you're dead, you're dead to, to the sin nature? Raise your hands. You believe you're dead to the sin nature. I said, raise your hand if you believe you're dead to the sin nature. All right, now think with me for a moment. If you're dead to the sin nature, is he going to live again? You're dead to the sin nature, right? That means you're dead never again to die again. Well, somebody says, well, no, that's not what my Bible says. My Bible said that Paul said that he died daily to sin. No, that's wrong. He was not talking about sin. Paul was referring to dying daily to the different persecutions he had to see every day. He died daily to the sufferings and the persecution. He didn't die daily to the sin man. And for years, we used that as an excuse. He didn't. Go back and look at it. He died daily to the persecution. He didn't die daily to the sinful man. If that were the case, you can go to bed saved and wake up unsaved. No, that's not going to happen. You are born again. You have died. You have died to that sin man. You have been made the righteousness of God. That old sin man is not invited back into your life. You have the nature of Christ living on the inside of you. Do you understand that? All right, watch this now. Next verse. Now, if knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Verse 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin how many times? He died how many times? Now, notice Jesus is not dying unto sin every time sin, sinning takes place. He died unto the, the noun. He died unto the sin nature once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Next verse. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto that sin nature. Reckon, I reckon means it's the truth. I reckon I'm dead to the sin nature. Why? Because I am dead to the sin nature. Likewise, reckon you also to be dead indeed unto the sin nature, but to be alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
All right, verse 12. We're almost there. Let not sin, O man, therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now, pause right now before we read on. Now, listen to me carefully. Question. Are you saying, Brother Dollar, that a person can be born again and still commit some sins? Yes, I am. Now, certainly you don't think that you're born again and you haven't committed any sins. Okay, let me blow your mind. The Bible says whatever's done not of faith is sin. That's about everybody in the room. The Bible says to know to, good, to, to, know to do good and to do it not is sin. That's a lot of people in the room. You might not break the Ten Commandments, but you don't walk in love. That's sin. You're rude to people. That's sin. You complain all the time. That's sin. You exaggerate a little bit too much. That's sin. Call it lying. Jesus was trying to hit this point at home. He said, if you ever committed murder, no, I've never committed murder. Have you ever hated your brother or had a problem with him some kind? Yes, I have. Jesus says you're a murderer then. He was trying to let everybody know that nobody, nobody is excused from this. You need a savior. You see, while I am a born-again Christian, I am still working towards my perfection. It was the spirit part of me that got born again. My, my soul didn't get born again. My body didn't get born again. My spirit got born again. My soul is in the process of being renewed, and my body is lining up with it. Renewing of the mind is not a one-time event. Renewing of the mind is a lifetime process. All right, now, now that we got that out of the way, listen to me carefully. Why then do Christian people who are born again and come to church still sin and miss the mark sometimes? Here's why. Your spirit man has a new creation. But if you are not renewing your mind, you still have the old software of the old man. So when the old man left, he left the software behind. And it is your responsibility to get a new software. How many of you have cell phones? Everybody, right? On my cell phone... When it's time to get an update, I'm notified, update. Do you want to do it now or later? And I always match later. And that never happens until the new phone comes out. When the new phone comes out, it requires me to get an update. And so it shows up again, now or later, I match later. Then it shows up again, now or later, I match later. I keep putting it off. And eventually, I recognize that now my phone is beginning to malfunction because I won't update it. So likewise, you may get born again, but if you don't update the software, you'll still produce the same output as if the old man is still alive. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying? Many Christians are born again Many Christians have the new man, but they won't renew their mind. To renew your mind is to exchange your thoughts for God's thoughts. It's exchange your ideas for God's ideas. If you don't renew your mind, the most important thing for a Christian is to renew your mind, to get God's way of thinking. If you do not renew your mind, then you're going you're gonna to put out the same thing you've been putting out. If you don't renew your mind where lust is concerned, you will be a Christian who's involved in lust. If you don't renew your mind where forgiveness is concerned, you'll be a Christian still walking around in unforgiveness. You must renew your mind so you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But you will never carry the proof if you don't first renew your mind. You have to renew your mind. So that's why 
a Christian can be a Christian and still sin because his mind hadn't been renewed to line up with his perfect spirit. So when your spirit gets born again, you're perfect in your spirit. But your mind needs to be renewed to line up with your spirit. And when your spirit and your renewed mind come together, it'll make your body behave like it's supposed to behave. So I'd submit to you, it's not enough just to get people born again. We've got to disciple them. We've got to get them to renew their mind. We've got to get them to change their software so they can allow the new creation to produce the fruit of the Spirit and it flows through their life. But you'll not see the new fruit until you get rid of the old software. And when you replace the old software with New Testament Word of God thinking, then you'll produce a fruit that the old man cannot produce. If you understand that, say amen. Now, let's pick back up here. What was the last scripture? Just start off with the last script. Romans, um, what is it? Romans 6, 12. All right, now watch this. Let not sin, the nature of sin, rule in your mortal body. How does the nature of sin rule in your mortal body? Through the software it left behind. Here's the flesh through the software that was left behind. Your way of thinking. There it is. Your way of thinking. Change the way you think. Change the way you live. Change your thinking. Change your life. Change the software. You got to change your software. You got to change your software. Church can no longer be about just coming and jumping and shouting. Hallelujah. 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 Somehow in all that, you got to sit down and renew your mind with the Word of God. And renewing your mind should not just be a church activity. It should be a house activity. It is something you do at home, that you go home and read the Word for yourself. Amen. Let not sin therefore rule and reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Next verse. Neither yield your members as instruments of righteousness, of unrighteousness unto sin. See, if you have that old way of thinking, you will yield your members as, as, as unrighteousness unto sin. But he said, yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And that won't be done until you update the software and get it to line up with the word of God. Renew your mind. Now watch this. Verse 14. For sin, the noun, the sin nature, the sin nature, the noun, the sin nature shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because he's not there anymore. The sin nature won't have dominion over you. You are not under the law that gives the sin nature the right to have dominion over you. You are under the grace of God. And while you're under the grace of God, then the nature of sin cannot dominate you because the nature of sin needs the law to be able to get you to sin. If you are thinking the law of Moses, you're going to be dominated by sin. But if you're thinking this New Testament by grace, then you will overcome it because how you think determines how you live. Amen? Look at verse 15. Verse 15. What then? Now, this is the word, this word sin is a verb. What then? Shall we sin? Shall we commit sin? Shall we do sin? Because we're not under law, but under grace? God forbid. But there are a lot of people who think that the answer to that question is yes. No, no. Sin has consequences as long as you are alive on this earth. Sin has consequences. Now, God still loves you, and you'll go to heaven but sin has consequences. You know, if you're doing something you're not supposed to do that offends your wife, then she may lose it and, and blow your brains out. Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. Don't go around and think, well, I'm under the grace of God. There are no consequences. Sin has consequences. Sin is offensive in relationships. On the horizontal realm, sin has consequences. Now, God loves you, and God has forgiven you, and God will work with you, and God will train you, but if sin has consequences. And now watch this. So he says in verse 15, 
This is the only verse in chapter 6. This is the only verse in, in, in verse 15 in chapter 6 that uses the word noun as a verb. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? You understand what I'm saying? There are people that think that under grace you can sin. No, grace is not going to be responsible for causing you to sin. Grace is the thing that causes you to live a righteous life. I, I, I think I need to show this to you. Uh, I think it's in Titus 2, verse 15. Is that it? Titus 2, 15. Uh, let's start at 11. Titus 2 and 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Notice what the grace of God teaches. It teaches you how to live a, a righteous life, a sober life. Grace teaches you how to live a, a life of godliness. He teaches you to deny ungodliness. That's what grace teaches you. So if you go around and say, well, Brother Dollar, under the grace of God, I can go to sleep with 10 more prostitutes. I tell you right now, you are not under the grace of God. Because under the grace of God, it'll teach you to deny ungodliness. So anytime you go around and say, grace gives me a license to do that and that, you're not under the grace of God. Grace is not going, grace is not going to teach you to be mean to people. Grace is not going to teach you to have sex with somebody other than your wife. Grace is not going to teach you to, to go and, and steal and covet. Grace doesn't teach that. Grace teaches you to be holy. Grace teaches you to be righteous. Grace teaches you to deny ungodliness. Grace doesn't teach you to act like a fool. The objective of grace is holiness. Go back, Romans 6, 16. I'm almost there. You'll see when I get there why I had to go line by line by line by line. I'm going line by line and some of you still freaking out. Like, what? Let your religion go. Look at the word. I said, let your performance-based Christianity go. Look at the word. We've got to be delivered from performance-based Christianity. We have more faith in what we can do for Jesus instead of having faith in what Jesus has already done for us. All right, now this is big. This is a game changer right now. What I'm about to show you is a game changer. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants, you are to whom, so we're talking about a person here, whom you obey. Here are the choices. Whom you obey concerning sin unto death. Whom you obey concerning obedience unto righteousness. Now hold that scripture, verse 16, for a moment. This is a huge game changer. Everybody, listen. Turn to your neighbor, tell them to wake up. Make sure they're up. Make sure they're up. I spent all this time to get to this point. I spent two sessions to get to this point. The word obey appears twice in verse 16. Look it up in your concordance. This word obey here does not directly mean to comply. This word obey means whoever you listen to, whoever you hearken to, and whoever you pay attention to. Who are you paying attention to? Who are you hearing? And who are you hearkening to? All right, now watch this. Know you not to whom you yield yourself servants to listen to or to pay attention to. His servants you are to whomever you listen to or pay attention to. Whether you are paying attention to the doctrine of sin unto death, which came by Adam, or are you paying attention to obedience unto righteousness, which came by Jesus, which one of those doctrines are you listening to? I'm going to show you this doctrine in the following scripture. But right here it is saying, to whomever you pay attention to, then you become the servant of whoever you pay attention to, whether you're paying attention to Adam, which is sin unto death, or whether you're paying attention to Jesus, which is obedience unto righteousness. Which one of those doctrines are you paying attention to? 
Watch verse 17. Watch verse 17. But God be thanked that you were the servant of the sin nature, but you have paid attention to from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, the form of doctrine of obedience unto righteousness. That's what you paid attention to. Verse 18. Being then made free from the sin nature, you have become the servants of righteousness. Why? Because you paid attention to the doctrine of obedience unto righteousness. Verse 19, glory to God. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness Watch this, unto holiness. Verse 20. For when you were servants of sin, by listening to the doctrine of sin unto death, you were free from righteousness. Next verse. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin, and you became a servant of God by paying attention to the doctrine of obedience unto righteousness, you now have your fruit unto holiness. You now have your fruit unto holiness. You paid attention to the teachings on obedience unto righteousness, and now you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So your behavior and your fruit is ultimately a result of what you're listening to and what you're paying attention to. And if you're listening to the wrong teaching, it will produce the wrong fruit. If you're listening to the right teaching, it will produce the right fruit. Romans 6:23. Wow. For the wages of sin, the wages of the sin nature is death but there's a gift of God and it is eternal life through who Jesus Christ our Lord it is not eternal life through all of your good works it is not eternal life through all of your good behavior it is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord it is not what you can do to earn a thing that makes the difference it's what Jesus has already done get this ladies and gentlemen This life of grace is a life where you are looking to Jesus to be your everything. You look to him for your healing. And just by beholding Jesus, you're going to be transformed into that same image by the Holy Spirit. Just by beholding Jesus, the Holy Spirit has committed to be the one to change you into the very image that you see. But you got to get this out of your thinking. You got to get this out of your life. You keep trying to earn what Jesus has already done. You keep trying to be like God without God. That is the greatest sin in the body of Christ, trying to be like God without him. You need a savior, and his name is Jesus. If you're going to get into heaven, it's because of Jesus. It's because of what he has done and not because of what you have done. In the name of Jesus, the doctrine, the doctrine, the teaching, it's got to change. Faith cometh by hearing. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing the specific word of God, the word of God born out of this new covenant, the word of God born out of this New Testament, faith comes. You don't need faith for the law, so he's not talking about that. He's talking about the word of God that requires faith. And the word of God that requires faith is this new covenant. Now comes the big challenge. Big challenge now, what are you prepared to do? You walk out of this convention and you continue to do the same way as you've always done it. But will you receive this challenge to go and get in that word, study that word, let it renew your mind, Step back and watch Jesus change everything.
Or will you say, oh, I don't want to receive that. I'm going to work. I'm going to sweat. I'm going to do what I can do to make God. God going to do this for me because I'm going to make him do that. I'm telling you, that's not it. The light of the glorious gospel is being revealed. This is not something new. It's been in the Bible the whole time. The light of the glorious gospel is being revealed. The gospel is the good news about this unmerited favor. It's the grace of Christ. That's what this gospel is. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to walk from this day forward? I challenge you to think deep on the inside. Are you tired of living the way you've been living? It's time for a change. I say it's time for a change. I say it's time for a change. Romans, I'll close with this, chapter 11, verse 28 in the New Living Translation, if you have it. Romans chapter 11, verse 28 in, no, in the, do you have a message? A message Bible? Ooh, let me close with this. Romans 11, 28, there you go. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, go down to verse 29. Bible out. Go down to verse 29. Go get it for me. Go to 30. Get up there, my Bible. I can't, I can't leave unless I'm showing this. Next verse. All right, I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong book. Go to Matthew 11. Sometimes I have, you, have to, you just have to have your Bible. Certain things you can find in your Bible. Matthew 11, 28 and 30 in the Message Bible. Matthew 11, verse 28. And I'll close with this. Are you tired? Worn out? I am burnt out on religion. The question is, are you tired of religion? Are you tired and burnt out on religion? He says, come to me. Get away with me, and, I'll, and, I'll, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Verse 29. Walk with me. Work with me. Mm. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Last verse. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord a praise in this place. Come on. Give the Lord a praise in this place. Stand to your feet. I want to close with this confession. I believe that something supernaturalist has already started in your life. And I declare that you're going to go from supernatural to supernatural. Lift your hands up and say this out loud with me. In the name of Jesus, I make a decision now to have more faith in the finished works of Jesus. To have more faith in what Jesus has done for me. I declare in Jesus' name that I will no longer try to be like God without God. He is my help. He is my strength. He is my way. He is my light. He is my everything. And from this moment forth, I will learn the unforced rhythms of grace to every mountain, to every hard situation. I shout, grace, grace. Grace, grace. Grace, grace. Now every mountain has to be, be, be reduced to a molehill. All is well with you and your house. Turn to three people and tell them, all is well with me and my house. All is well with me and my house. God bless you. 
Thank you for listening to the Megacon Experience. Connect with us on social media at CGMI Global on Facebook and Instagram.